I felt called into the ministry at the age of 14, and I actually preached my very first sermon by the time I was 15. I prepared and delivered dozens of sermons and devotions before even completing high school. I graduated from Bible college at 22, got ordained at 24, and I've worked on my preaching skills now for the better part of the last 20 plus years. I've written and preached hundreds, probably thousands of sermons at this point. And I've had the privilege of preaching in front of dozens, hundreds, and even thousands. But I've still preached far, far more sermons to a crowd of zero. My only audience, a whiteboard and a dry erase marker. In front of my whiteboard, I've grinded out thousands of hours of scripture, outlines, quotes, illustrations, application points, serious ideas, and so much more. And almost all of it sucked. Welcome to the Worthwhile Podcast. This is Episode 6, Private Disciplines. Welcome to the Worthwhile Podcast, a Christ-centered podcast to provide encouragement, practical guidance, and spiritual perspective to your ministry, leadership, and life. Each week we'll talk about important application and development issues, healthy relationships, entrepreneurship, ministry tools, and ultimately, leading a worthwhile life. Because nothing worthwhile is ever easy, but finding a great podcast about it should be. Hi, I'm Pastor John. Thank you for tuning in to the Worthwhile Podcast. We believe that you are worthwhile and that your life matters. And that's what this podcast is all about. We promise to keep this podcast commercial-free and 100% listener-supported. So if you'd like to join our partners, please visit patreon.com slash theworthwhilepodcast. And join us at any level that feels right to you. You'll get a personal thank you from me, Pastor John, and you'll win some nice gifts and cool swag along the way. Again, visit patreon.com slash theworthwhilepodcast. And thanks in advance. Today I want to talk to you about private disciplines. Despite what you've been told, no one is actually great at anything. Think about it. We all come into this world without the ability to walk, speak, or even control our most basic motor skills, and yet over time we speak our first words, we take our first steps, and at first a lot of it is babble and gibberish. We totter and fall often. We spill our milk. But eventually we get to the point where those mishaps are the exception, not the norm. But when it comes to more advanced skills that come later in life, we somehow expect instant success. We act as if something uh, as simple as learning to walk or run didn't take years to get good at doing, and that something more complicated like running a business or having a good relationship or even learning how to pray just comes instantaneously. I want to share a few insights and perspectives on the things that you are probably already passionate about, but quite frankly, you suck at doing at the moment. And that's okay. In fact, it's pretty good. As I said at the beginning uh, intro of this series, of this episode rather, um, I've been preaching now for over 20 years. I remember the very first sermon I preached at, I believe I was right at 15 years of age, and I never preached before, and I wanted to make a difference, and I was passionate about the Bible and about connecting to people's lives, and I didn't really know where else to start, but I had read through the entire Bible already at that age, and I thought everyone needed to be aware of the things that are going to happen in the end times. I find it ironic now that here we are in 2020, feeling like we are living in the end times and the apocalypse, but I preached my first message about these things at 15 years of age. And I did not know what I was doing. My father, who had vastly more experience than I did, tried coaching me through it, tried walking me through it, and uh, I'm very grateful for his, for his mentorship and for his help in my life. And yet, uh, I preached through the entire book of Revelation in like 12 minutes. Which, if you don't know much about the book of Revelation or the Bible in general, that's, that's not covering the material very well. And yet, 
at the end of that message, a grown woman who, who had brought her friend gave her life to Christ, made a, made a spiritual decision to become a follower of Jesus. And I remember thinking, I'll do this for the rest of my life. Whatever it takes, no matter what it costs or what it pays, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Now, I've gone back and listened to that message before. I have a tape of it around here somewhere. And I still think it was not a very good message in terms of the quality of the you know, hermeneutics and expositional skills that I was using in my just general public speaking skills. But I remember thinking, you know, it wasn't as bad as I remember. And I feel a lot better about that because at the time I remember getting up to that podium and my hands were shaking in fear because I wasn't sure if I had any clue if this was going to make a difference, if it was any good whatsoever. And I've preached literally thousands of messages since then. And here's the reality. You have something that you're passionate about, whether it's preaching, starting a business, uh, having your own family, uh, building good friendships. There's a thousand million different things possibly that you could be aiming your life at and you just don't know if you're good enough. And I want to take all the pressure, doubt, insecurity out of the way. You ready? You're not. You're not good at it. You are probably very bad at it, especially if you haven't been doing it very long. And we have to get to this place where we overcome the fear of that so that we can actually get good at something. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't generally happen in front of people the very first time. It happens behind closed doors. It happens in private disciplines. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today on the Worthwhile Podcast. So I want to share with you four things today that you need to know if you're going to develop strong private disciplines. Private disciplines are the key between where you are and where you want to be in any given skill set that you want to get good at, whether it's learning a business, getting good at cooking, or any number of things that you're trying to do. Private discipline is the key to getting from where you are to the place that you want to be. So here's just four thoughts that I have today on private disciplines. Number one, only obsessed people become successful people. Only obsessed people become successful people. Uh, somebody made a point of telling me that it takes about 10,000 hours to get good at something, to become an expert at something. 10,000 hours of practicing something. And when you think about that, that is a whole lot of time. And you have to be really focused on something over an extended period of time to get good at it then. Only obsessed people become successful people. And I think about all the time that I've spent in front of a whiteboard, and I love working on a whiteboard when it's planning business stuff, trying to manage budgets, and especially when it comes to things in my sermon prep, because it, it feels like an extension of my brain. I can see in real time what I'm actually thinking. I'm a visual learner, so that really helps me. And I can easily erase things or move things around or know this needs to go here, and so I don't have to erase that, just draw an arrow to it, and it helps me so much. But I've literally spent tens of thousands of hours in front of a whiteboard, grinding out sermons, thinking up ideas, praying over scriptures, writing text, writing illustrations, and figuring out how to do my craft. And that's in addition to the probably thousands of hours I spent actually in front of people with a Bible or an iPad in my hand, actually preaching to people. Only obsessed people become successful people. They're, uh, I'm into barbecue. I've got a little barbecue business that I run. And uh, I, recently on Netflix, there was a chef's table barbecue um, season, and they showed the story of a woman named Tootsie. Tootsie uh, is the pit master for Snow's Barbecue down in Texas, and it was rated the number one barbecue joint in all of Texas a few years back. Well, if you know anything about Texas, that's saying a lot. Well, this woman's been doing it for 50 years 
years. No kidding she's the best at it. She's had tens of thousands of hours committed to it. She has been obsessive about it. She tells the story of how her and her husband bought a barbecue joint, you know, some 50 years ago, and that's how she got started into this. And here she is at 83, still grinding out barbecue. And only obsessed people become successful people. So what is it that you want to be successful at? You're going to have to get obsessive about it. Number two, a high pain tolerance is a must. A high pain tolerance is a must. How many times do you mess up in 10,000 hours of doing something? How much criticism and self-doubt goes into that? Even just a thousand hours, you gotta imagine, it gets really old really quick. And you have got to develop a high pain tolerance. You've got to learn to appreciate the mistakes, to, to appreciate uh, the things that don't go as well. You're baking a batch of cookies and they come out gross or they didn't rise properly or any number of a thousand things that I have found out that you can do wrong when making a cookie recipe. You have got to get comfortable with that. You have to have a high pain tolerance, not just from your mistakes, but when you show this to other people, when you take this private discipline, you begin to make it a little less private by sharing it with somebody else, you'll realize really quickly that people will say nice things to you at first, often, but then over time, they'll begin to be a little more honest with you. Like, well, it tasted really dry, or it didn't have this, or, or I think that your delivery could have been a lot better, or I didn't understand what you were saying when you said this. And you have got to learn to take that as good feedback that you have to make decisions about how you do the next batch or the next presentation or the next thing that you're going to work on rather than taking it personal and becoming defensive and getting angry about it. It's really tempting because if you're going to be obsessed about something and then it gets attacked or you realize it isn't as good as you thought it would be, it's really easy to get defensive about it. You've invested so much of yourself in getting good at this thing that now you feel compelled to protect it. I remember when we were first sharing the vision for Life City Church with other people, I waited so long to begin telling people because for me, this was my baby. And as long as I was working on it and praying on it and sharing with just like a really small group of people close to me, you know, it's just a vision on my whiteboard and, and not something I was broadcasting and making, uh, you know, a, a Facebook page about or a website about, then it was it was good. It was innocent. It was, it was perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. It was my little baby. But now when I have to go public with this idea and begin casting vision and and encouraging people to connect with me and be a part of it. Now I've got to show my baby off to everybody. And it sounds easy, except for the part where people are welcome to criticize my baby now, and they're going to criticize my baby. And that is true of anything that you're going to be obsessive about. It's true of anything that you want to get good at. So what starts as a private discipline has to be uh, have a uh, high pain tolerance built into it. You have to get comfortable with that. Which leads me to number three. You've got to get good at being bad. You have to get good at being bad. This is the whole point of private discipline because it's easier to suck at something on your own in your office on a computer or a whiteboard or preaching to your lawn. It's easier to do bad there than it is when you're trying to do it for the real deal. But if you're going to get from a private discipline to a public you know, exhibition of your talent or skill, then you've got to get good at being bad. Uh, I, I never got obsessively uh, focused on golf, but I did play golf for, for a while, and uh, I learned some things from some people who've been playing for a long time. And one of the things that I learned that a common mistake that, that golf players make is that when you're on the, the practice green, so the green is where you, you want to get the ball, and then the hole is actually on that green. It's where you would putt the ball from to get in the hole, for those of you who are non-golfers. But there's a practice green near the clubhouse where you'd like go and sign in and pay to play on that course. 
And, and people are there with you know several balls in front of them practicing putting, you know, different angles and different cups, different slopes of a green. And and what you'll see a lot of time for a lot of novice golfers is they'll line up, they're eyeing the, the putt, and then they'll, they'll they'll swing their putter and they'll they'll make the putt. And then as the ball is moving towards the hole, the golfer will realize that that he's off target, that the ball is not going to go in the hole, that's going to miss. And so what you'll find a lot of golfers do is they'll take their putter and they'll stick it out in front of the ball and they'll stop the ball from missing the cup. And they'll pull it back and they'll try again. And it's something that instinctively we all do, whether that's in golf or, or any number of things. We realize that we're going to mess up. We, we stop it from messing up and we act like it didn't happen and we try again. And somebody coached me on this a while back and they said, don't do that. It hurts to watch the ball miss the cup. Let it hurt. Let it, let it suck. Let it be bad. Because when it misses, what you're paying attention to is how did it miss? Was the ball going too fast and so it went through the break? Was it was it going too slow and so it just didn't get enough steam to get there? Uh, was it was it too far left, too far right? How did you misjudge this putt? Now get another ball and do it again and try to correct the thing that you think you did wrong. But when you stop yourself from making a mistake, when you stop yourself from from seeing how bad it goes, then you don't have the opportunity to grow and get better. And so you can't learn from your mistakes if you stop mistakes from happening in the first place. That is the whole point of private disciplines. You have an opportunity to suck at something in private, to work on something before you have to deliver it in front of others. And uh, one, one other kind of a, a thought that uh, I have with that is this, that practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. We say practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. No, practice doesn't necessarily make perfect, practice makes permanent. The more you do something, uh, the more locked in it gets in terms of how you did it that way. So if you allow yourself to make mistakes, you can dial it in and get better at it. Otherwise, every single time you stop yourself from missing the putt, you didn't really stop yourself from missing, it was gonna miss either way. But now you don't have the benefit of getting better for the next putt. And so, yeah, you sunk 100% of the putts that you made, but you only made, you know, the other, you know, 75%, you made half of a putt, so you didn't count those. And you didn't actually get better at your game or your craft or your skill. You just ignored the mistakes. Don't ignore the mistakes. Get good at being bad. Allow yourself to miss. It'll pay off in the end. And number four, there's a price that you will pay, and it is threefold. There's a price that you'll pay, and it is threefold in terms of having private disciplines and getting good at something. There's three, three levels of, of how this is going to cost you. Number one is it's going to cost you uh, consistent improvement, the cost of consistent improvement. Um, as you get good at something, here's something I've learned about every discipline, is that the more you learn at something and the better you get at something, the more you realize how much farther you have to go. It's one of the most frustrating things in life. The more you learn about something or the better you get at something, the farther you realize you have to go. I've been doing barbecue for, jeez, uh, 15 years now, and I remember the first batch of barbecue I made, I got really lucky and it came out perfect. And I thought, I am the man. I am so good at this. And I made literally hundreds of pounds of bad barbecue after that before I actually started getting good at it. And how much did all that meat cost? How many smokers have I bought? How much wood have I had to buy? And on and on and on we go. Now I've got a smoker that's worth a lot more money than the first couple of smokers I bought. It can hold a lot more meat and it holds a better temperature and it does a lot of good things for me. 
but that's the cost of consistent improvement. Um, whether the thing you're trying to get good at requires you to take classes, go to seminars or conferences, uh, buy better equipment or technology or software, there's a cost of consistent improvement. This is again part of that being obsessive. Only obsessive, only obsessed people become successful people. So there's a cost of consistent improvement. The second cost is the cost of other opportunities the cost of other opportunities. To be obsessed about something means that you ignore a lot of other things, like like a lot of other things. And if you're gonna if you're gonna be good at something, if you're gonna commit ten thousand hours to working on something, then you can't do everything. So what will you do and what won't you do? In other words, what are you gonna give up? It kills me every time somebody's like, there's this fantastic opportunity, you can't miss this out. Well, maybe you can depending on what's important to you. I would even say this, even in terms of things that, that are that you want to get good at, um, some things are far more important than others, obviously, and whether your thing that you're trying to become obsessive about is uh, starting a business or, or a, a class or, or whatever your thing is that you're trying to get good at. Uh, for me, my family, is a thing that I am obsessively trying to get better at. I'm trying to be a better husband. I'm trying to be a better father. It's something that I work at and obsess about and spend a lot of time trying to get better about. I've read several books. I've been to several conferences. And I have lots of people that I lean on for encouragement, support, and advice, and criticism, etc. But all that just to say that no matter how obsessive I am about business ventures or even my ministry, that I am not willing to sacrifice my family. So that means that there are a lot of opportunities that I have to let go blowing by me, but I have a family in the process, or I have a ministry in the process. And so there's the cost of missed opportunities. You can't do everything, so what will you do and what won't you do? What are you going to give up? And the third thing is the most painful probably, and that is the cost of people who don't get it the cost of people who don't get it. As you focus in on this, as you develop your private disciplines and you get good at something and you put in the effort and you put in the obsessive discipline to work on something, there will be people who just don't know how to support you. They just won't get it and they won't know how to be there for you and many of them, quite frankly, will lose interest. What you will find, not always, but often, is that the people who have the same obsessions as you will begin to kind of come alongside of you or somebody in the field that you aspire to be like or that you're trying to learn from will come alongside of you and say, hey, I see you getting good at this. I see something in you that I once saw in me. Let me help you with that and they'll come alongside and offer to be a mentor to you or if you're smart, you'll approach them and say, hey, I see you doing this and I want to be as good as you one day. Can you make some time for me? I'd love to like to treat you for lunch, get you some coffee, and talk about how uh, you do what you do. And I've been blessed that I have several people in my life who I have learned that from in ministry, in marriage, in business, and in so many other areas. I have people who are not only mentors and coaches, but deep friends. But there will be people who walk away from you who won't know how to support you in this or who will be pursuing a different obsession that goes in a different direction. Um, one of my best friends in life is Lucas Cunningham, Pastor Lucas Cunningham of Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. Lucas and I have literally not seen each other in person in I think seven, eight years and yet he remains one of my best friends. He and I have been obsessed about doing ministry and trying to make the world a better place and bringing the, the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world, frankly. And yet, despite our distance, he and I remain in close contact. We uh, have a weekly 
uh, phone call appointment that we uh, almost never miss and that we encourage each other and check in on each other and pray for each other and you need people like that in your life as well. So what is it that you're going to develop better private disciplines on? What are the things that you are going to get obsessive about and spend thousands of hours making mistakes, building a high pain tolerance and getting good at being bad? And what is the price that you're willing to pay in order to get that good? What are the things that you're willing to sacrifice? The cost of improvement, the cost of missed opportunities, the cost of people who just don't get you, don't know how to support you. Because these are the things that you're gonna to have to do to get good at the thing that is important to you. Private disciplines are the difference between where you are and where you wanna be. So get disciplined, get good at being bad. At the end of every episode, I like to pray for all of our listeners and offer some encouragement. If you don't consider yourself a particularly spiritual or religious person, that's okay. Take this as good vibes. It's my way of trying to offer a little bit of what is worthwhile in my life by extension to you. And right now, God, I just thank you for every listener and for all of the private disciplines that are being exercised right now from uh, the people who are in the gym trying to take care of their body as they listen to this podcast or on their way to a job or a business meeting or on their way to a mentorship or a small group. God, I pray that you would just, uh, through your spirit, help us, God, to count the cost and to get good at being bad and that our efforts and our energies would bring it you glory. For all the men and women listening right now, that you would help them to be comfortable and to have a high pain tolerance and to be good at getting bad at something so they can get great at it. God, I pray that uh, you would help us to do this in such a way that the world would be a different and better place. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Worthwhile Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash theworthwhilepodcast to make your monthly pledge. My name is John Markham. Thanks for listening.